I'm Michael Holly, and you're listening to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. I'm Adam Motenko. With me, as always, is my twin brother, Josh Motenko. That's right. It's been 34 days since the last time the Celtics have won two games in a row. Shout out to number 34, the truth, Paul Pierce, Celtics math. Josh, I think I saw that uh, your tweet on that before anybody else. Do you get credit for that? or No. Never any credit. When you got under 100 followers, there's never any credit. <laughs> follow Josh. What's your Twitter? At Coach Motenko. And follow at Celtics Pride Pod for us. And Mike, what's yours? At Mike Minkoff NBA. Guys, I posted a, uh, a poll on Twitter. It got 150 responses. The two options were, would you rather have short-term success or long-term success? 88% of these 150 people polled said they'd rather have long-term success as a Celtics fan. Doesn't that mean we shouldn't fire everybody and trade everybody and blow things up, right? Well, okay, you're jumping, you're jumping the gun. We'll get into this. And can I be introduced, please? <laughs> <laughs> you just were. You gave your Twitter handle. <laughs> the only Michael Minkoff. Thank you, as it should be. Hello, gentlemen. Good to be here. The red carpet appreciate, is Appreciate, yeah, appreciate the the prioritized rollout. Um, I not all of my credentials were listed, but we'll we'll take it. Let me keep the paparazzi <laughs> at bay here. Today on the podcast, we were going to talk about the recent games briefly, and then we're going to launch into a mid-season evaluation of the Celtics so far. We're, we're a little premature on that, but we're almost at the All-Star break, and then we will talk about the second half expectations. The Celtics played the Wizards. They got a win at the buzzer. That was close. At the buzzer. They beat the Pacers. Two wins in a row, as Josh said. First time in 34 days after a loss to the Hawks and a loss to the Mavericks. And Luka Doncic and his just Larry Birdian clutch shooting at the end there. I know, it's a little tongue-in-cheek there. Um, Let's do a takeaway from each of us. Josh, can we start with you? What's a takeaway from the last four games? Yeah, I mean, we, we played like like we needed to win some games. We, we played like like everybody was banding together, trying to get it done. We didn't know who Brad was going to play. You know, we got a couple threes in the corner, and, or, or one out of two threes in the corner from Shemi Ojale. You know, and that's always a no, 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 yes situation. Um, and guys are just finally coming through. Kemba's been playing. I think way better. I think we got to give Kemba credit. His shot has been falling, and that is a difference maker for him um, because, you know, when he's just the locker room leader guy and he's not producing on the court, it's kind of it's kind of a difficult situation. But when he's producing on the court and that shot is falling, you know, now all of a sudden we got our third option and uh, we were able to give Jalen Brown some rest. So uh, I said a week ago that all it was going to take – was a four game, a simple four game win streak to turn this fan base around. And we're two games in with two games left before the all-star break. It's happening. Mike, one takeaway from the last four. 
do I get one like Josh's one? So I get like three <laughs> or do I get like an actual one? Um, Up to you. Well, so my one uh, partially overlaps with what Josh said about Kemba. I think, I think Kemba has shown some signs of real Kemba-ness, which is awesome. But that, that fits into the broader takeaway that I just am, I think I'm finally at peace with how drunk this season is. Um, it is the hardest season to kind of figure out how to react. And we'll, we'll talk about this over the course of this episode, but how to react game to game, week to week, month to month to this team, to, to what's going on in the league, because the schedule is so kind of junked up, but by virtue of the coronavirus um, cancellations, how condensed the games are how little opportunity for rest there was for teams from last year into this season. Um, and it is kind of night and day how I feel today versus last week after a week where we went two and two with uh, a pathetic loss and a heartbreaking loss, but but two pretty solid wins as well. Um, and Kemba looking good. And, and so my key takeaway from the first half of the season and this past week is that this season is drunk. Mike, what would you say is the blood alcohol level of this season so far? I'm not expert in how blood alcohol level works. I'm pretty sure it can't exceed one, so I would say 1. 1.7. <laughs> 0.08 is the legal limit, but um, I actually was just talking to a friend of mine who does a legal podcast where they were talking about the highest ever recorded is a 7.7. 7. <laughs> oh, so there you go. So I didn't go nearly high enough then. So <laughs> 6.5, it's very drunk. It. This is the type of situation where you're you're way past like trying to get the league to give you its keys like it <laughs> that fight has ended the league has subsequently vomited on itself um walked into the middle of the room and just started doing some really inappropriate things that involve probably shedding some clothes um you're you're really worried about about the league and you have called an ambulance because the, the league's stomach probably needs to get pumped. Friends have apologized for the league's behavior so far. Oh, we're way past that. <laughs> we're way <laughs> past that. We are off the rails of, of the Celtics blog, family friendly uh, nature of the podcast. So let me give my takeaway and, and in Josh fashion, I will give more than one. Uh, number one, Rob Williams is really starting to stand out to me. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure he has consistency yet, but I'm loving what I'm seeing here. And Aaron Neesmith is now apparently out of the rotation. Okay, Brad. I mean, I guess I should have expected this. It was this. one game. No, it was one game. I don't think you can assume that. Wait. You just wait. Watch and see when Romeo comes back. Watch and see how much, how little run Aaron Neesmith gets. Let, I mean, if you're going to talk about someone being out of the rotation, Grant Williams is the name. He's out of the rotation. It's been several games. Yeah. Oh, sure. But isn't this how Brad Stevens does his rotations? No. Well, I think the Grant Williams thing is different from the Aaron Neesmith thing. Neesmith doesn't play one game, and we've seen that from Javante Green. We've seen that from several players. Grant Williams is different. It's like the message has been sent that, that right now he needs to take a little break. Yeah, I agree. I agree with Josh. Uh, I, think, I think this was a case of Jalen Brown was out, um, and the best player on the other team was Bradley Beal, who plays at the position that Neesmith would be defending. And they, they're they not going to trust Neesmith with that role. 
with Jalen so, Brown out, it made sense to start Javante Green. Yeah, but Nismith got zero, start, zero minutes. Yeah, but I think that I think that's a reflection of how thin we were. Like there wasn't a way to play Aaron Neesmith that he could be protected against basically getting matched up and and taken advantage of against Westbrook and Beal. I, I think and, yeah, and we can get into this a little bit more. Like Neesmith has had a really strong month on the whole, but his last four games, the defense has been atrocious with him on the court. So like he the, he's had some slippage and I, my hunch is that Brad's decision is related to that. And he, the coaching staff was probably like, all right, here are some things to focus on. Here are some things to work at, on. We're going to sit you for a game, get, you know, take some time, get your head, head back and uh, we'll get you back out there. So unlike, yeah, Mike, like, Mike. like what Josh said, I think with Grant where he's just, he's, Got in a nice kind of new setup on the bench, and he's he's uh, he's really getting comfortable there. I totally agree with you, Mike. I think that the Russell Westbrook matchup with Javante Green was like almost equally as uh, as part of the Green the Javante Green starting decision. I think like having a, a West Russell Westbrook type player and Javante Green guarding him was actually a smart move. I think Javante did a good job in there as well, and and yeah, that was the only thing I could think of is. I want Neesmith to play. I think he's he's shown that he he's deserving of it. But if you're looking at like how Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal's eyes are going to light up when they see him on him, still being a rookie that's pretty green and 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 making kind of mistakes like that, like it it feels like it's actually giving the other team confidence to have a rookie like that out there with that matchup the way it was. I mean, yeah, Neesmith takes terrible angles, like in the one-on-one kind of on the ball handler situations he would have fouled out in two minutes <laughs> against against those two guards, I feel like. So did, I think I think Brad was protecting against that a little bit. Did the way he guarded um, Luka Doncic play a role in that? No, I just think that you, you see Neesmith getting taken advantage of a little bit, you know, and you see him like, like he'll get taken advantage of and then he'll, he'll like, you'll see him, you'll see the, the wheels turning inside. He's like, okay. I've learned that lesson. Like, I won't let that happen again, but it's still like, okay, we, we got to go through the growing pains of you learning that lesson in this game. And I mean, the Wizards, based on their record, they're almost like a team we needed to beat right now, just from a, a standings perspective. And maybe, right. I mean, who knows? Maybe he was just tired. Like, he's a rookie. It's a crazy schedule. Sure. And, and maybe Stevens was like, maybe there was something else going on where the coaching staff was like, Neesmith needs a day. Like, who knows? Right. I, I, I think on the whole, his per- performance has been solid enough that I would be surprised if he's just arbitrarily out of the rotation now. Yes. Who knows what Jeff Teague has shown in practice that is now giving him minutes. Uh, the Celtics have the All-Star break coming up. They play the Los Angeles Clippers on Tuesday night, and then they may or may not play the Toronto Raptors on Thursday before the All-Star break. Toronto has had their last few games postponed their entire coaching staff I've heard as has COVID. So um, we will see what happens with that. Um, but we are going to talk about uh, an evaluation of the, the first half of the season. The Celtics are 17 and 17 f- tied for fifth place in the Eastern conference. They started the season seven and three. Then they had three games postponed. They've been 10 and 14 since then. And I want to take you all back to, I think it's November before the season started, when we did our first ha- our predictions, so we assumed a 72-game season. By my count, 
the rest of the schedule, the Celtics have played 34 games so far, and my, my count is that I think they have 39 more scheduled. So that only takes them to 39, I'm sorry, to uh, 73 games. So we're still, our assumption that they are trying, the league is trying to get the 72 game schedule in this season. They're going to hit, check the boxes on their TV contracts, make the revenue, the bulk revenue that they need to, but not try and play an entire season, get to the playoffs. And then hopefully next year we have a COVID-free season with fans in the stands. Let me just remind everybody what we said we predicted. So, Josh, you had this team at 48-24 and 24 in a 72-game season and third place in the East. Mike, you had the team at 44-28, and 28, fifth place. And I had the team at 40-32, and 32, also fifth place. So let's go through each of us our uh, midseason evaluation here. Let me begin. Uh, what I did here, I went back to the notes that, that I had made at, at, in the offseason about after Hayward signed in Charlotte or, or was traded to Charlotte for the TPE. And basically I said, based on the offseason, it seems really clear that this is a basically a, a, an evaluative year. I don't want to use the word developmental year, but basically it's an evaluative year with a ton of young players this team is, I said at the time, this team is way too young to win a championship this year. And because of the moves that the Celtics made in the offseason, they're clearly, um, they're clearly uh, uh, trying to see what they have. And, and um, they're not actually trying to win the championship this year. So based on that, I said, in order for the Celtics to be successful this year, they need three things. Number one, they need Kemba Walker to be healthy. Number two, they need... Leaps from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And number three, they need an emergence from the bench of like three, really four players to fill in the middle of the roster. They've got a solid one through four, one through five. They need that four through nine, basically, to be really good. Um, and they just, this is where their depth is lacking. So let me go through what, what we've got here. Kemba Walker, it did not look good to, in, to my eyes in the offseason. He looks great so far, and you both commented on, on Kemba's uh, play in, in the last um, few games. Walker, in his last eight games, 22.4 points per game, 44% field goal, 41% from three, 94 free throw. He's a plus 7.9 net rating, number one on the team. And, hat tip Brian Rubb. Yep, hat tip to Brian Rubb with these. This is, I'm like, I'm reading from his tweet. <laughs> um, and, and he's looked good to the eye test too. I mean, he, he's, it doesn't look like he's uh, fully um, athletic Kemba from a couple of years ago, but but he does not look like he's hampered with this injury. And I think he, over time, he's showing he that, good. He, he, that he, he looks healthy. That's really the, the the piece to me. So because he looks healthy, I, I, I give that a plus. I'm thinking plus delta for these things. Do we need to work on this or is this a plus? So number two, leaps for Tatum and Brown. Brown obviously has made a leap. I don't think we need to discuss that. Tatum um, hasn't played as well of late except for this last game, but I would say I would put him on the leap side of things as well. And we can talk more about that. Um, and then for the, so that's a plus for Tatum and Brown. Now, if you had told me at the beginning of the season that Kemba was going to be healthy and that Tatum and Brown would have made leaps, I would have assumed a far better record than the 500 that they have right now. Uh, the, we have a delta here for the emergence of the bench. The depth is a real problem. So basically I said after Tatum, Brown, Kemba, Smart, and Tice, we need three, really four consistent contributors. 
And I basically said Thompson and Teague need to exceed my my low expectations in the offseason. That has not happened. Thompson is looking better. I mean, I guess you could say Teague is looking better too. But I don't think Teague is a is a a rotation NBA player anymore. And Thompson is is a fine one, but he's he's not a starter, and and I don't think he can guard the Joel Embiid's of the world. Um, and I and I said you need somebody from Aaron Neesmith. Grant Williams, Robert Williams, to make a leap to being a consistent, reliable contributor. Robert Williams is looking really nice right now. I don't know if he's consistent. Would you guys say that Robert Williams is looking consistent? Yes. I think yeah. he's finally making he's starting to rotations um, like it's second nature. Like, like he's not thinking about it anymore in terms of the defensive rotations. And he's even making like Mitchell Robinson type plays where he's sliding over to help on the drive. The guy kicks it out and there's a one more pass. And now he's got to go close out on a three point shooter and he's challenging those shots. And it's, it's like one thing to the next. So to me, that's a huge step in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think he is, he knows where he's supposed to be on the floor uh, for the most part. One of the things that's still a bit vexing with Robert Williams is like the advanced out of the team's performance with him on the court is not great. Even in recent games, um, he's still one of our, has one of our kind of lowest net ratings and it's pretty, pretty negative. Um, if you look at like four games bad, like last four games or the last 10 games, it's, you know, negative. And some of those it's like negative 10 and some of those it's negative eight. Like the team isn't performing great with him on the court which is hard to reconcile because some of the things he does are so spectacular um and and he does have some skills that are truly unique and um like both literally and figuratively game-changing as far as his ability and knack for getting steals his ability to get blocks obviously and and the vertical threat he introduces on offense so and the rebounding and the rebounding, yeah. So I, I mean, I think you, he at this point to me, and I think I speak, I think most Celtics fans at this stage agree, like he has shown enough from a consistency perspective, um, and certainly from a like just supernatural athlete perspective, um, that you've got to nurture aggressively, nurture his development. And Brad Stevens acknowledged as much recently, um, saying that you know. Robert Williams is a big, big, big part of the future for this organization. So good. 16 <laughs> minutes per game. That's what he's averaging. 16 but there's, minutes a game. Right. There are reasons for that, right? Uh, there's his hip injury, which is a, a prospectively chronic injury um, that needs to be managed carefully. Uh, this is a highly condensed schedule. Um, he does have some foul trouble issues uh, on occasion. And it's a, you know, it's, it's a type of, he doesn't always seem to have the wind, frankly, to kind of stay on the court longer. Um, and it's a position of the the sole position of kind of um, uh, of depth that the team has. So, and plus, I mean, Daniel Tice has arguably been our best player and most consistent player for the past month <laughs> or or longer. So, um, I think all of those do conspire a little bit against. Williams getting on the floor more than 16 minutes a game. Um, I think the health, the health factors are probably the most pressing, um, but he's 
getting increased opportunity of late, I believe. Mike, if you if you could put uh, our center rotation, if you could rank order the centers, how would that go? Um, I, I mean, I said, uh, what, just two weeks ago, I think I said Daniel Tice should be getting 25 to 30 minutes a game, and um, Rob and uh, Tristan should be kind of fighting out for the remainder. Um, I think I stand by that right now. Um, and this, you know, we'll get into that, both kind of the evaluation and then the expectation for the second half. But my answer is predicated on on where I fall on in those discussions. Josh, thoughts on that? Yeah, I, th- I think Rob Williams, I- I've been thinking more about how important Tice is to our future and how we're going to re-sign him and what, what would it take to re-sign him. And the reason for that is because I think if, if he wants to re-sign somewhere for $16 million or $12 million a year next year and we don't want to pay that, you know, I th- then Robert Williams is your starting center next year. You know, and so I think that we're preparing him for that role and I think that he is the future of that position for our team. Um, and, and because of that, I'm putting him ahead of Tristan Thompson. But obviously, Tice is, is the, the reliable guy and the guy who's shooting a great percentage from three out of nowhere this year. So, you know, you got to give him the nod as the number one option. And I'm not a Tristan Thompson hater. I just think, you know, Robert Williams is that important to our success. And just the energy that he provides out there the spark that he has with his, his athleticism and, and the way guys um, on offense, you know, it's just so much easier when you can always throw that lob over the top to him for a spectacular highlight. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a new perspective that we haven't had in a little while. Um, but the thing about Robert Williams, I, I've, in 30 years of watching the NBA and 10 years coaching at the college level, I've never seen a player who does what he does, who like wants to get rid of the rebound so quickly on the outlet pass. And I've been thinking more about it. You know, it's something we've joked about over and over again on this podcast. And I just, it's really, it really is something I've never seen before. Like I've seen, I've coached players out of that habit of getting the rebound and coming down with it and not pivoting before they get the outlet pass. And, and like, you know, just the fundamentals of that, but I've never, I've never coached or seen a guy who wants to get rid of the ball on the rebound before he even lands. The way it's you just, talk about that, it's it's as if he's he doesn't want the ball, and I don't, and that's not it. He's trying to make a play, right? I, I think vision. I think his his yeah, I think his he sees something. I think his mind is, like moves very quickly. Um, I you know I have like a Josh like theory about how like you know crazy athleticism and kind of your 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 mental speed of processing are are coordinated connected but i'm not gonna dive into that further than that <laughs> um but no i think he see he sees something or thinks he sees something and just wants to move on it instantaneously and it's like a little bit add like it's yeah it he like it's it, just it, it's very impulsive right it, it's like a lack of impulse control and ability to kind of be like wait maybe this is not the moment to act on that instinct yeah and i've never seen a hotter... that inhibitor <laughs> I've never seen a hotter potato than Robert Williams rebounds. <laughs> do that you, potato is hot. <laughs> do you both agree that Jason Tatum has made a leap? No. No. Um, so basketball reference, I'm looking at it right now. His win shares per 48. Um, last year, that it was 0.146. This year, it's 0.113. Um, I, I think he... 
I don't know. I mean, it's been a particularly tough recent stretch for him, and he's coming post COVID. I think, but I don't think you can definitively say he's made a leap. He has more responsibility. He's growing in a new role. I trust in him as a superstar and like someone to build around. Um, I think he's, you know, he's growing by virtue of having a new set of responsibilities and opportunities. Um, But he is, you know, to me, a leap would suggest that he is kind of excelling in those new roles. And I don't see him quite doing that yet. But I, I, I don't doubt his potential to do so. And not just potential, but his his likelihood of realizing that potential. Um, but I don't think he's he's made a true leap this year. His usage is up. His points are up. His assists are up from 3 to 4.4. Josh, what do you think? That's, that's the biggest one to me. I mean, this is year one of Tatum and Brown being lead facilitators and decision makers and ball handlers on the pick and roll, you know, as, as if they were the point guards of the team. And so... He's adjusting to that, and he's doing a really good job, and that's why he's averaging 4.4 assists, which is a lot for a three to be averaging. And, but in terms of the leap, I mean, the leap is, is – we saw the leap last year at the All-Star break. That's the leap, and he's still yeah. on that same level, and he's just maintaining that, that leap that he took last year. But I don't think from the beginning of, uh, of – you know, from last year to this year, he's made another leap. Let me tell you about a stat here. Uh, we talked about Jason Tatum in the first month of the season and his free throw attempts, how low they are for a player yeah. that has his usage rate. In December, he was averaging uh, four point. I'm sorry, three free throws a game in in December. They went up to four point one in January. In February, they are six point one. Uh, in wow. February, he is number twentieth in the league in free throw attempts per game behind just behind LeBron James. And you can see in certain plays when he doesn't get back on defense quickly when he, you know, when the whistle blows and he just kind of rests a little bit, like you can see the back end of that extra effort he's putting in towards getting to the hole or, or the way he's reserving his energy for when he needs to do that at the end of the game. And he's pacing himself and we can harp on him for, you know, those types of mistakes or lazy type plays or soft type plays. But I actually think it's the smart way at this point of the season to make sure that you're doing it the right way. And if the numbers are that good, I mean, shoot, that those are good stats, Adam. So going back to my three goals at the beginning of the season, healthy Kemba, you guys agree that he looks healthy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Leap for Brown, you agree on that, right? Yep, yep. totally. We disagree on a leap for Tatum. I don't think it's been a big leap, but I, I think more is to come here. And then emergence of the bench, Robert Williams. Josh, you think that he is a consistent contributor at this point. Has anybody else emerged as a consistent contributor? No. I mean, Shemi is, like, not atrocious, but even, I mean, again, if you look at, like, net rating for the team over the more recent stretch, he's at the bottom of the barrel for us. Um, it's It's been really bad with him on the court in the last... I think five to 10 games. So, um, and he was like our best contributor. I mean, Javante is like useful and in, in kind of a fill in utility role. We all love Peyton Pritchard though. He's, he has generally struggled recently. The, the last couple of games looks like maybe he's getting out of that schneid. Um, 
And I don't think we need to belabor anything about like uh, Jeff Teague, Grant Williams struggles are well documented. So I think the bench has been entirely subpar on the whole um, for a variety of reasons. See, I, I might argue that Semi Ojale has been consistent. He went up from 36 to 38% from three. Um, he's shooting the three and landing his shot more balanced than he ever has. He's not twisting his hips or landing in different footprints than when he started his jump shot. And to me, that's huge. You know, he's still just a guy who's going to go run to the corner, as Bill Simmons said in his most recent podcast, and just spot up from three. But shoot, he's hitting it. I mean, that's what that's what we want from a guy like that who's then going to hustle on the other end of the court. And I would argue that Peyton Pritchard has been consistent. You know, for, for a rookie, and, you know, McMullen said on, on Bill Simmons' podcast recently that, that he's been in a major slump. I haven't seen that. Oh, I think I he's playing. He, no, he, he's, he, was, he was really, he wasn't hitting shots. I mean, he had like an 0 for 6 or 1 for 7 game. Like this, this he was flirting with uh, 50, 40, 90 for right. the, that first stretch before he got injured. I mean, the flirting is maybe a little aggressive given how short a small sample it was. But like, you know, everything, like he was kind of, um, he was really dynamic in his role, which is kind of a weird juxtaposition of con juxtaposition of concepts, but he, he really, really, really was a differentiator before he had that knee injury and coming back, he, he wasn't actually impacting the game very much, um, on offense or defense. His shot was off for a while. I, I, you know, his, ability and one thing he's still struggling with i feel like relative to the beginning of the season and i'm not sure if this is a scouting report improvement thing or a lack of um explosion thing for him coming from that injury but like you know he was able to kind of get into the paint pretty consistently at the beginning of the season um use some effective pivots um uh, or reverse pivots or or and ball fakes and things like that and kind of get, uh, you know, get kind of layups or, or get the ball in the hoop from like within three feet um, in ways that you kind of didn't expect. Mm -hmm. And I feel like even now in the most, I don't know, most recent handful of games, we've been seeing him dribble into the lane and kind of trying to do that stuff. And instead of succeeding more often than not kind of stalling and, you know, he had a travel uh, late in the game or maybe it was, in the middle of the third quarter thereabouts um, against the wizards in our most recent game. And he was pretty frustrated with himself about that. Um, oftentimes it's just, he just kind of picks up the ball and is stuck or, uh, and has to kind of pass it out once he dribbles in and tries to do some fakes um, and the defense isn't biting or he's not going, he, you know, he, he hasn't beat them as much as he had previously. So they're in a better position to be able to not overreact, whatever the case may be, it's hard to distinguish. Um, but in macro, I definitely think his performance has waned from the start of the year. I, he's still solid. Like, and I, <laughs> no question would prefer him. him. No, 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 no. I'm not worried about him, but I think it's fair to say that he's been in a, he was in a schneid. Yeah, he's he's been less aggressive to me. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the he was flirting with 50, 40, 90. He's he's now at a 44, 38, 90. Uh, there's been some fun numbers related to, to that 50, 40, 90. Jalen Brown has been close to a, a 50, 40, 75 all season. Jeff Teague is currently at a 34, 40, 90. 
uh, we got some weird. <laughs> he's over. Hey, wait, he's over thirty on two points. That's know, that's a real that's a real progress for Jeff Teague. Hey, did you guys enjoy watching the Peyton Pritchard TJ McConnell matchup? Yes, and I and I wanted and and I was thinking about that when I mentioned the aggressiveness. TJ McConnell is constantly attacking, constantly, and that's what Pritchard needs to do. Yeah, it, you know, we had talked about Della Vadova as a player comp for him, and a Van Vliet as a player comp for him, and and I think. He's definitely more of a TJ McConnell at this stage of his rookie year. So I had said we need four people to step up between Thompson, Teague, Neesmith, Grant Williams, Robert Williams. I hadn't even thought about Pritchard, uh, but I think Pritchard has emerged. Rob Williams is another. That's two. So we need mm-hmm. of, of Thompson, Teague, Neesmith, Grant Williams, and, and let's say Romeo, we need two more. Any, and, and it's not going to be Carson Edwards, right? I'm not even including him in the list. <laughs> I noticed. Anybody else of that list? Like, do you, like anybody? Do, do either of you feel like Thompson has emerged as a consistent contributor? Should we have? I do actually. Yeah, Absolutely. I think I think he's clearly rounding into a solid contributor. He's he's not. Um, there's nothing like extraordinary about his contributions, but like he was a clear detriment. Uh, for the first, I don't know, 20 or so games of the season, 20 to 25. And in the last, whatever, 10 to 15, he's clearly kind of figured out his role, figured out like the defensive schemes and is not just like uh, a gross liability when out there. So um, I do think he's been a solid contributor. I, I maybe was hoping for a teeny bit more, but he's about where I was hoping he would be. You were hoping um, for a lot more. Come on. I, I was hoping for a fair amount from Tristan. You wanted <laughs> a switchable big man defender who was going to start shooting threes. That may be accurate, but I refuse to <laughs> admit that right now. If only we so recorded three guys. So that's three. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I disagree with it with Thompson. I don't think he's he's doing it at a high enough level. I mean. I'm going to give you this. So in the playoffs, you want to throw Thompson, Pritchard, and Rob Williams out there? I'm okay with that. And so we need one more. And so that one more is Romeo Lankford. So Romeo, surgery on 922 on his wrist. He had a four to five month prognosis, projected timetable for return. Uh, Apparently he had a setback a month or so ago with a little pain, so they backed off a little bit. Daniel Tice in post-game of the Washington game basically said, I'm excited for the us to have the full group back together. So that assumes that Smart is going to be back and Pritchard, I'm sorry, and Romeo Lankford is going to be back after the All-Star break at, break at some point soon after. Yeah, and, and I love the fact that Romeo is forgotten and that people are ready to throw him in whatever trade just to give some other team, some young guys who have no value across the league. Even the other teams have, have forgotten. This is... This is a guy who is a really special, special scoring player. And he showed in his rookie season that he can defend at the NBA level and that he deserves minutes based on that. Josh, come on. You can't can't bestow that level of specialness to someone that's played like 12 games and hasn't demonstrated an ability to stay healthy. The haters are literally everywhere. This is not a hater. This is, this, is, this, is, this podcast. This is not so a listen, hater, Josh. You are th- you're is, being a you're it you. There's a level where you actually have to demonstrate it and prove it with consistency, 
right? Like you, you don't get to be special in the NBA if you haven't been on the court with consistency or stayed healthy. Like I, I hope that Romeo can achieve the level of success. I talked with you last season about the prospect because I was encouraged by what Romeo was doing of the prospect of like just that added layer of how much of a fleecing the, the, uh, Tatum faults trade would be because we got the pick that became Romeo in that trade as well. But at the end of the day, like let's pump the brakes a little bit until Romeo comes back and shows an ability to stay on the court consistently, like even for the remainder of the season, let alone before we start talking about him as a special scorer. Josh, here here is your special scorer, and then I, and then you can respond. Okay, last year, thirty two games, two starts, eleven point six minutes a game, thirty five percent from field goal, eighteen point five percent from three point, less than one free throw a game at seventy two percent, one point three rebounds, point four assists, point three blocks, point three steals, two point five points per game. That's your special scorer. There's other players who've kind of set a precedent for not playing in year one or year two very much because of injuries and then blossoming who are also, you know, top five, top 10 in their draft class. Ben Simmons is one. Michael Porter Jr. is another. And Romeo Langford is a steal in the same way that those guys were. You know, Michael Porter Jr. was, was a steal in the mid-teens uh, as a draft pick. That's where Romeo fell to because of his thumb injury, then he's got the wrist injury. Um, he is a, he's exactly what the Celtics need in terms of we're looking for another guy who can attack the rim, who can help and be a third, fourth, fifth option scoring-wise, who can defend and has some size, who can be another ball mover. That, and we have that on the team. And it's like, I'm telling you, this guy is going to come back, and after getting acclimated, he's going to help this team in the playoffs and be a rotation player. And for everybody who wants to trade all of our players that we have right now to try to get somebody else who can come in and fit these needs that we have, we have that on our team right now. You've all forgotten about it. You two have forgotten about it. His name is Romeo Langford. You you can't forget something that you haven't experienced. Um, so no one's forgotten about it. No, we we haven't seen it. Uh, I'm I'm not inclined to trade Romeo. Um, I am much less bullish on the prospect of him being ready to meaningfully contribute in deep in a deep to a deep playoff run. And I think you and I have different expectations of whether or not the Celtics should get there, but we'll get, we'll get to that later in this episode. Josh, we've talked about Romeo Lankford. Mike and I, 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 Mike, I don't want to speak for you, but I think we both really like Romeo. Yeah, I like him. I'm a big we fan. Think really highly. Give me Romy. You're going to do really well in this league. What you just be reasonable, dude had a ping pong paddle taped to his hand at free throw last year. <laughs> How are you going to call him a special scorer? Come on, man. He's got great feel for the game. I, I think that's undeniable. And what his defensive instincts that we got to see were really, really, really promising. Um, I think you're overstating the likelihood that he's going to fit the ball mover need that we have on this team as a guy that's played what 12 NBA games or whatever it is like, like what I think we need is someone closer to a Gordon Hayward level ball mover. Romeo Langford is not going to be that he could become that maybe eventually. I, I honestly, I don't know. 
Um, I don't think that's quite his game or his, his, the, you know, I, I do think he's a great slasher driver, uh, can finish through contact. will be able to get to the line, maybe can develop into a good outside shooter. Um, and probably will be a solid passer. Um, uh, and, and looks like he could be a strong defender. So I'm like excited about all of that, but yeah, a special, special scorer is like what you talk about. Those are the, that's the way you talk about Kevin Durant. That's the way you talk about <laughs> like Bradley Beal. I don't think it's the way you talk about Romeo Langford. It's definitely not the way you talk about Romeo Langford right now. I have no problem being the only one with this hot take. Um, okay. Well, you keep it. You keep it. You keep it warm for us for the next three years, and uh, we'll revisit. This is one of my predictions for the second half of the season: is that Romeo Langford is going to surprise people, fans, media pundits, bloggers, all of them. He's going to surprise everybody w- with the way he contributes to the Celtics season. Can you be specific half. in some regard? <laughs> uh, I think he's going to be a part of the rotation. I think he's going to be like whether we're going to play Javante Green or Aaron Neesmith or Carson Edwards or uh, Grant Williams, all these guys were throwing in into this position. They're all keeping the seat warm for this guy to come back. It's, those, are, those are Romeo's minutes. Yeah. And he's going to, and he's going to prove that, that he gets those minutes and deserves those minutes. And in those minutes, I think that he's going to really help this team. I think that this team is going to change their record. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I think it's this is going to an easy playoff team. This Boston Celtics team in 2021 is an, is easily a playoff team that's going to do some damage in the playoffs. And we got a lot of guys who are too young to help with that in that regard. Neesmith is one of them. You know, maybe even Pritchard, but Romeo Langford is a guy who's ready to help. So I, I agree that Langford is ahead of Grant Williams, Aaron Neesmith, um, and Javante uh, um, and Carson Edwards. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Uh, but that doesn't mean he's going to hit shots from three. I think he'll defend well like he did last year. I think he'll get more minutes. I think he was uh, primed for that in in the postseason. Uh, so, yeah, I, can, I, I expect him to continue that consistency. That is not a special scorer. That is not what you're describing there. So in in on this team, when we are a jump shooting team, we're a sidestep jump shooting team. And this is a guy who's going to, who changes that. He, he attacks the rim in a way that few people can guard. I mean, he, he is his straight line ability driving and finishing is special. It is. And you can laugh at that if you want, or, you know, we can wait and see. It's just, it has to translate to production. So this team, uh, Kemba's healthy. Brown has made a leap. Tatum has continued what he did last season at minimum. We've got three bench contributors, and yet this team is still a 500 team. The metrics that predict record are aligned with their current record. They're only a plus five in point differential. They're 13th in net rating, 13th in offensive rating, 16th in defensive rating. They are a middle-of-the-road team. Their They're record really aligns with that. really super average. Yep. <laughs> they are playing as well as they look. They actually need to play better in order for their record to increase. Uh, their numbers, like their their point differential, for example, that needs to look more like a plus four or more in the second half for them to actually uh, make some noise in the playoffs. What are you both seeing in this first half of the season that you think uh, explains what's happening here? So I, you know, 
a week ago this time, or maybe it was not even quite a full week ago, right? We were hearing all the fan, you know, all the fans were out, um, and they were they were going for the heads of everybody. Um, we heard a lot. We were hearing a lot. We've been hearing a lot about Brad Stevens and whether whether it's time for him to go. Uh, people were are you know questioning uh, Tatum and Jalen, um, and and certainly um, you know the the brain trust in the front office and ownership have not been been free of this. And I was finding myself trying you know really trying to kind of come to grips with what what to me has undeniably been a bit of a disappointing first half of the season. Um, and, you know, as I thought about it, I came, um, you know, I fell on, on a few things that kind of ultimately made sense to me and, and put in perspective this first half of the season and, and how I how I feel about the team's performance to date and, and, you know, ultimately what I kind of am looking for as we go forward. Um, But so one is the Celtics current roster is like the fourth youngest in the league. It, the average age is somewhere around uh, 20, I think it's 25.3 years old. Um, And if you, you know, the oldest player on the team is Jeff Teague, who's 32. And he barely plays. He wasn't playing for about a week or two there. Now he's back in the rotation the last couple of games. Um, uh, Sean Grandy had a had a tweet just showing kind of the concentration of minutes um, to young players. And I think the Celtics were like the had the third highest constant, basically the third highest weighted average of of young players playing their minutes um, in the league. So. It's an extremely young team, which lends itself to the type of inconsistency we've seen. Two is, if you look around the league at some of the greatest disappointments record-wise that we see, we see the Miami Heat, who was a finalist last year, and they're the same record at the Celtics. You see the Celtics. Obviously, our season has been disappointing. You see the Denver Nuggets, who are at the bottom of, of the playoff picture in the Western Conference. Um, and then, you, and then there's the Lakers who are still doing pretty well, all considered, but you know, one of their top players is injured. All four of those teams were the four semifinalists in the NBA last year. They had the shortest turnaround. And so what I think is connected to this, it's not the sole factor, but you're seeing four teams that are, I think, af- clearly affected by how short a turnaround they had their bodies, their mental energy is um, harmed. It's hurt. And the performance on the court is being reflected. Um, For the Celtics specifically, like I think undeniably Jason Tatum before this last game, especially, and Jalen Brown, who has missed a few games now with knee tendinitis, including the most recent game against the Wizards. Um, And and Jalen Brown, after kind of a, absolutely stellar start to the season has kind of come back to earth in the last month or so. Like you're seeing the attrition uh, placed on these guys. Um, Marcus Smart's injury has been really, really problematic for the team. Uh, And it's, 
exacerbated by the fact that that was already a position where we knew going into the season we didn't have enough depth at that kind of that win. I mean, Marcus Smart is kind of a one, two, three, four, and five, not necessarily in that order. It's kind of like a one, five, two, four, three, or something. But <laughs> he, um, you know, we've really, really missed missed his playmaking, his ability to move the ball, and obviously his de- defensive versatility, uh, intelligence, and tenacity. Um, and you know, in in the preseason predictions that we made. Uh, that certainly didn't factor in missing Marcus Smart for like four weeks um, or whatever it'll end up being by the time he's out. And so, you know, to me, when you look at kind of those types of factors, um, if I'm evaluating the team's performance on the first half of the year, what I expected, and when we talked about kind of the, the first part of the season being evaluative, what I said in that preseason podcast was I thought the Celtics would be five and 10 or six and nine in their first 15 games. Mm. They, they ended up going way, did way better than that uh, because mostly because Jalen Brown was playing out of this world. Um, he was playing absolutely ludicrously good basketball. Um, then I thought, well, when Kemba comes back, then we'll actually start to get better. Uh, Kemba did not come back firing on all cylinders. So then we started to, and then Marcus Smart got hurt. So then we started to see the team that I kind of was expecting we'd get at the beginning of the year. So the, the, the order of operations has been a little bit different than I expected, but I think if you take it together, kind of the net result for the first half of the season is probably around where it would, it it would have re- rationally shaken out if we had broken down our predictions that way. Like I expected us to play better after that start. Um, and with Kemba now playing well, knowing Marcus Smart should be coming back soon. Um, and I guess hoping maybe more so than believing that um, Tatum and Jalen are going to benefit as much, if not more, than anyone else on the team from this upcoming All-Star break. Even though they're both going to be in the game, they'll still at least get a few days off. Um, you know, I I think the first half of the season, as frustrating as it's been, is not surprising and has shown enough about the state of the team. And I think this aligns with what you were saying, Adam, right? Kemba looks healthy. Jason and Jalen look good right the relative like they look and they look like they've improved or are making clear discernible improvements relative to years past all of that to me adds up to this team being in a in a relatively strong position uh to move forward and you know record wise we're in the thick of this kind of pathetic eastern conference so (laughs) we've got that going for us as well so um, I think, I think my only, you know, I'm, I can rationalize, I guess is the way I would say it, uh, the performance of the team in the first half, especially in light of like smarts injury and, and that Kemba needed more time to kind of round into form than I gave credit for in the first place. Um, uh, and, and it, it definitely dictates kind of what my expectations are going forward from. Uh, in particular, the front office. 
you're seeing from the first half here? Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart. It all comes down to the fact that we don't have him on the court. Him not being out there shows how valuable he is. You know, we've done a good job when either Tatum is out or Brown is out and Kemba's stepped up to help with, you know, be that secondary guy and, and everyone else has kind of fallen into place for us to be an average record team, right? But with Smart, we're, we, we take that leap. All right, well, let's talk about what the uh, future looks like for this team this season. Um, uh, it's hard for me to believe that the arrow is not pointing up on this team. I don't think Tatum or Brown are going to regress in any important way. I think Kemba is only going to get better, assuming that he, he stays healthy. And, and really, all of this is based on the assumption that uh, of general health. I think the bench can only improve with more time for guys to play together, for young guys to learn and possibly the addition of a trade. Um, so barring injury, I see this team playing better in the second half and therefore having a better than 500 record in the second half. Can they go 23 and 15, assuming 38 remaining games here in the second half, which would reach my prediction of 40 and 32? That's what I said in the beginning of the year. Um, they're already in, in fifth place in the Eastern Conference, as I predicted. I don't think that's crazy, going 40 and 32. In fact, um, I think it's as likely for them to do that or even more likely than for them to play worse than they have in the first half of the year so far. 538 has them projected to finish fifth in the East with a 40 and 32 record. They have them at a plus two point differential at the end of the year. They're a plus 0.5 right now. So they just need to, to find their a, a couple more consistent contributors off the bench. Tatum needs to figure it out a little bit more. They need to play together more. They need to play a little bit better defense. They just need to be focused. And, and I think that's an achievable goal. Uh, Pritchard and Time Lord are good bets. You guys already think that Thompson is, is a playable guy uh, in this rotation in the postseason so they need like one or two more from the rest of this crew maybe it's Romeo like Josh thinks maybe there's a trade um, maybe it's somebody else what do you guys think Mike you you uh you and I I think are going to be right in our prediction of a fifth seed you also had them at fifth I mean you know I it's entirely possible that they get higher than that like Again, they're tied, or they're in fifth, but <laughs> three of the four teams ahead of them are as expected. One is the New York Knicks. Um, so, like, the four, at minimum, that fourth spot is eminently grabbable. I, I predicted ahead of the season that the Celtics would fare a bit better um, than you did, Adam. I, I, right, I had said 44 and 28. That would require them going 27 and 11 the rest of the way. So, that is um that would be very optimistic i i you know i don't know how realistic it is it, it's certainly more realistic that they go 40 and 32 to me than 44 and 28 um uh at this based on how the first half of the season has gone but it's not impossible it is predicated on to me two things and this ties in with my expectations um so well one one thing is not necessarily an expectation it's a hope which is good health right it's marcus smart comes back and is able to contribute uh regularly kemba continues to stay healthy obviously they're going to continue to manage his knee um and not play him in back-to-backs but aside from that he's he kind of keeps trending the way he's been trending of late um and he's been 
one of our he's been one of our best players aside from maybe Daniel Tice <laughs> uh, in the past couple of weeks. So those um, you know the, that's one set of assumptions. But the other set of assumptions is that the Celtics, because I do think the East remains open. I do think that if the right type and amount of help is put around Brown and Tatum, who frankly are too young. Um, and I think because of the way last season went just too tired uh, to carry this team um, the way like with an inexperienced supporting cast as far as they could otherwise go. I think you it Danny Ainge has to go acquire the right types of veterans. Um, and it is my expectation that he will do so. I think he put the, this team in. Um, an ill-equipped position to manage the first half of the season for a variety of reasons. I think he made some misfires. He's admitted to making some misfires in the, you know, in the off season. Um, he didn't specify, so we can speculate whether that was Miles Turner or Tristan Thompson or Jeff Teague or all of the above. Doesn't really matter. It's an acknowledgement that the 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 roster as composed is not good enough. Um, to get the team to make, I think, the type of deep playoff run, Josh, that you're so optimistic the team as constituted can make. I'm not, I don't have share that belief that you have. And it's probably directly related to my much more tempered optimism about what somebody like Romeo Langford can contribute this year and what someone like Aaron Neesmith can contribute this year. Um, and I think, unfortunately, uh, we've seen more or less as much as we're going to see out of Grant Williams, at least for this season. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, we've, you know, Shemi and, um, and Javante, you know, they can do their little bit parts, but we need someone that can play really meaningful minutes and really meaningful games um, and can take on some of the burden that, ha- that have veteran presence uh, and take on some of the burden from, Tatum and and Jalen and allow them to kind of grow in ways that are that are a bit more constructive um, and less kind of frankly just exhausting for them because I think you know I think they're showing signs of that wear and tear uh, mentally emotionally and in some in Jalen's case physically um, and I think that's a concern so my expectation my primary expectation is that the front office takes advantage of, of a part of the TPE um, and positions this team to make a legitimate deep run. Because I do think that they're closer than their record would suggest. Adam, you talked about some of that inconsistency. Um, I, you know, the, the Celtic, this team has had spurts, including in this game against the Wizards, where they look fantastic and they look like the Celtics teams of old. But those once they get into their rotation, like into their, you know, into their rotation and you start sprinkling in that mishmash of, of ill-fitting rotation pieces, um, you see the inconsistency come up. You see leads relinquished. Uh, you see us go down when we shouldn't be. Um, and we can't piece together 48 strong minutes. And I think between Marcus Smart's injury and that one other rotation piece that I think we need to acquire, we're weirdly not as nearly as far away as it feels like we are uh, based on our record and performance over the first half. So um, I think, I think it will be 
a clear failure by the front office if they don't make that acquisition. Josh, assuming Romeo Langford can come back and lead the league in scoring, do you think that your <laughs> team can achieve your prediction of 48 and 24? Um, can they be 48 and 24 and a third? That would, that would require a, a 31 and seven record the rest of the way. Just to Yeah, to I'm going to say no to that. <laughs> um, but what I will say is you have three teams in the Eastern Conference who are good. The fourth seed is one game over 500. Seeds four through 10 are all stuck at 17 losses right now. Seven teams with 17 losses. Um, have we ever seen this in the NBA? Like, do we even no. know what we're looking at? The answer to those two questions is no. We do not know what we're even looking at when we look at this NBA season this year. Um, and so what that means is with all this unpredictability, that as people get used to that, things will start to balance themselves out. So when you look at this team in a vacuum as a Celtics fan, you know, listening to the Celtics Pride podcast, who maybe only watches the Celtics play against other teams when when you're watching the Celtics games um, and you don't really watch other teams outside of Celtics games, then you're going to look at this team like things are going wrong and the sky is falling. When you look at the standings and you see how many middling teams there are in the Eastern Conference and how many potential teams are going to enter the playoffs with losing records, it's unlike anything we've seen recently. So I, I predict that things will balance out. And so what that means is yeah, the Pacers are going to make the playoffs. Yeah, the Heat are going to make the playoffs. Yeah, the Celtics and the Raptors are going to make the playoffs. The Bulls, the Hawks, the Wizards, the, the teams we know are bad. We knew they were bad in the beginning of the season. They're not going to make the playoffs. I right? actually Maybe, think I, I had the Wizards at eight. I think I think the Wizards will make the playoffs, and the, the Knicks, I could see the Knicks and Bulls still falling out. Yeah, I think I think the Knicks... I think Thibodeau equals playoffs, and, and I think the addition of a veteran like Derrick Rose is going gonna, is gonna to push them through um, totally but, but this is the year that lower seeds are going to beat higher seeds in the playoffs. I think we're going to have multiple upsets like the NCAA tournament in the NBA playoffs in 2021. And the teams that have the talent and the consistency and the coaching staff are going to push through. You know, the teams like the Heat, the teams like the Celtics, the teams like the Raptors, although the Raptors have been losing coaches, you know, in the offseason and even during the season. Um, so... And I mean, this is just let's just use them as an example. I mean, you had people talking about Kyle Lowry being the coach because their entire coaching staff has COVID. I mean, you've never seen that before in the NBA. Even the Sixers, Nets, and Bucks, I feel like one of those teams is going to lose in the first round of the playoffs. This is just the wackiest year, and, and you're going to see things balance out. And so, to me, as a Celtics fan, there's nothing to worry about. Final question. At the end of this year, assuming we do not make a trade, assuming the roster stays the same as it is now, who is our starting and finishing five center? Oh, well, I think it's the same. Finishes. It's Tice. It's Tice in both. I, I watched that Washington game and I was like, is it time to, to, to bring Time Lord in at, at crunch time? He just brings a, a totally different element to, to offense and defense. I think he could end the year closing out games. I think Tice still gets the start, but I think Williams could end closing them. Well, that is that is the trajectory towards having him be a full-time starter next year if Tice is gone. So, I mean, that that's what you'd have to see to to be able to make that decision. Like, okay, we're not going to re-sign Tice because I mean, he's asking for too much. 
Tice is much, much, much better than Robert Williams. Just to be clear, like he's a much better defensive player. He can't do the flashy stuff, but he's better in positioning. He's better in rotations. He's better on offense. He's uh, knows how, how to set screens, when to set screens, hits his jumpers, makes better passes. Like in every possible way, Daniel Tice, Daniel Tice, I think is grossly underrated. So I agree. I, I don't think it's a close conversation this season, to be honest. I- I mean, I, I agree in, in terms of reliability means he's better. Reliability is good. And so you want that. And Robert but it's Williams like... is not reliable. But Robert Williams at his best, even at, at you know, whatever he is, age 23 right now, is better than Daniel Tice when he's at his best. It's just you never know when that's going to be. No, well... From a rebounding perspective, Robert no, Williams it, is going to go over it, everybody. Robert, Robert, Williams, Robert Williams has a higher ceiling. But, but like, we, d- we haven't seen Robert. We've seen Robert Williams show amazing flashes. Absolutely. But, like, Daniel Tice at his best is better because Daniel Tice does everything well to really well. Like, Robert Williams at his best is still inconsistent with spectacular flashes right now. Like, that's the point. Like, it's, it, we're not talking about what this person could become someday for the purposes uh like and again i think this is where you know i differ from both of you i i believe the team's window is now like i'm not satisfied with the team getting an one upset in the playoffs and calling that a successful season i think that's a, a unsuccessful season and i think the roster even with as disappointing as this first half of the season has been has the potential to go further than that and should be positioning itself with an expectation of making at least the Eastern Conference Finals again. Like, I think that should be their baseline expectation still for the remaining uh, remainder of the year. And if they don't make, make that, I put it on the front office, and I think it's a failure. Yeah, like, And, well, and that, Mike, that's how I'm evaluating the second half of the season. That's how I'm evaluating it. Mike, my evaluation is based on what the front office did this offseason, which to me sent a very clear message that they do not believe that this is a, a competing year for a championship. So I don't that, think that's what they believe. I think I think you're that is misdiagnosing what that. That is what the message, that's the message I received by their, their actions. So I think they, that's what I'm basing it yeah. on. I'm not saying that that's what I want them to be doing or that's what I think they should be doing. That's a very different thing. But this is a conversation I, for another podcast well but listen i mean three three out of the last four years we've made the conference finals and three out of the last four years i have a feeling we didn't expect that to happen you know maybe the Kyrie year we were hoping that that would happen and every other year was a little bit of a surprise and this is the team that surprises you you know this is a coaching staff that gets things done when it matters this is these are these are guys players who've stepped up as young guys and now are in lead positions and I mean, they're putting the league on notice. Both are all-stars easily, you know, no matter who's voting, fans, coaches, media, it doesn't matter. Like both guys are all-stars. And, and I'm, I, I don't think to, to create the expectations at the beginning of the year of what you think they could do and then say that they, if they don't do it, that, that it's, a, it's a failure. I mean, when this team surprised you the last four, three, four years. I'm not saying it's a failure on the players. I'm saying it's a failure. So, Adam, I disagree with your interpretation of the events of the offseason because I think think the front office just messed up. 
and they they wanted to position the team better than they did and they tried to salvage it and that they didn't do a good job of it so i i i don't think that i don't think they went into or that off season with an intentional mindset of this team is not prepared to compete so we're not going to go all in i think they made uh calculated ri- risks they thought were calculated um and and they they played their hands wrong and came away with in a much worse position than they expected. And then Josh, to what you're saying, you know, I don't put any of the blame, I not necessarily not any, but to me, the blame would fall squarely on the front office. Um, and, and it's about, so to me, I think, I think, well, I think Adam and I agree that the, the team as composed right now is not strong enough to, to, be a likely Eastern Conference finalist. Sure, Josh, to your point, they could surprise and exceed expectations. Fine. But I don't think they're currently constructed to go that deep into the playoffs. And, and I think there are roster composition issues related to the youth and lack of kind of good veterans, like Jeff Teague does not fill that good veteran void um, in a satisfying way at minimum. Um, and so to me, it's on the front office to address that. And I think we have the resources and ability to do that. And there are going to be viable candidates. I mean, Orlando continues to fall. Cleveland is crud. Houston continues to fall. Sacramento is getting worse, so they're apparently not getting rid of Barnes. Um, but there are there are going to be options available. We have the giant TPE. We have the smaller TPEs. We have young players um, with some appeal. We have all of our draft picks future draft picks for the most except for maybe one second round pick for under our control for the foreseeable futures there are ways that we could position this team more effectively to compete this year um and i think i to me it's an expectation i have of the front office to do that all Um, right we will we will fight about all of that on a future podcast what is clear is that this team is mediocre right now by record, by statistics, by eye tests, by any metric, they are average. And yet, all of us agree that the second half, for some reason, is going to be better than the first half. So uh, for, tweet at us if you disagree, at Celtics Pride Pod. Thank you for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, and let us know if you disagree, because clearly we're all aligned on some optimism here, and it's not necessarily based on what we're seeing in the first half here, or at least what they're showing. Josh, final thought? Yeah, we we got the the Clippers on TNT, nationally televised game tonight, Tuesday night, and this this is a big game. I I predict that we will see Jalen Brown back on the court and that the last game was one day of rest for him to rest his knee before this nationally televised game, which is a big one. Um, And Mike, I agree with you that there's teams that are still falling. Lloyd Pierce was fired yesterday by the Hawks. Um, I have a feeling Luke Walton will be fired this season, you know, just, just watching the players kind of walk by him as he's upset calling timeouts. Um, and, And a lot can change in the second half of the season. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone.